Okay, so we're going to continue with uh, chapter 1 in Zechariah, the prophet Zechariah. And uh, you may hear some sneezing and snorting during <laughs> during this. My allergies are once again um, acting up. Um, but uh, we're going to move on in the, in the first section of Zechariah chapter 1. Um, we saw it was it was uh, it was Zechariah. It was the Lord's word through Zechariah uh, of reconciliation to his people. Uh, we saw that uh, the people of God they're 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 back in the land, but they had not uh, had not spiritually returned to God, so to speak. And so God, in the first section of Zechariah, it was one through six, I think, was uh, you know God was saying, if you'll turn back to me, then I'll turn back to you and. So as construction of the destroyed city was taking place, remember that the the people had come back to the land and were rebuilding the the the, uh, the city where uh, you know Nebuchadnezzar seventy years some odd earlier had destroyed. Um, Zechariah came preaching. He came preaching and prophesying to the people, and the word of God came to him, and uh, this is what it said in the first section. And uh, that word was, you know, it was a promise, and, and it was a warning to God. Um, the people previously were called to; they were called to renew their faith and and their covenant obedience to uh, to the God that had brought them out of Egypt and gave them the land, and you know all those things. And and for much of the rest of the book of Zechariah, he he prophesies uh, to the people through through visions that that contain really strange imagery to us being modern readers. Um, most of what we see in Zechariah is deemed uh, apocalyptic-style uh, writing. And uh, it's, familiar to, it's familiar to those that are familiar with ancient texts uh, in the time period, but for, for modern readers, um, you know, it, it, it's, it's very difficult um, so uh, we're going to get into all that. We're going to get into all that. But uh, just know that that we're coming off of Zechariah's word that the God had given them an invitation to return to Him, and uh, you know they were, of course, required to repent and uh, the past transgressions to His holiness and and, and turn to Him in faith. Um, Zechariah's second word, which is what we're going to look at today in verses seven through seventeen. Uh, of chapter one, uh, this is it's an oracle of God, and Zechariah desires to uh, to make sure that that you know uh, that they know that this God that's offering them forgiveness and mercy, uh, he's the same God that rules over all things. He's 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 sovereign. It's uh, uh, verse seven. It's going to begin a series of visions, actually. That God gives Zechariah, and the the purpose of them is to bring hope to God's people as they're laboring uh, in the in the city of of Jerusalem. Um, he begins by let's just read the verse seven. He begins by giving us the time frame. It says, on the on the twenty fourth day of the eleventh month, which is the month of Shabbat, the second year of Darius or Darius, however you want to pronounce it, the word of the Lord came to the prophet. Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, uh, son of Edo, saying, um, Darius came to the, you know, this is where we're going to stop, verse 7, verse 8 is going to start what he was saying, uh, 
going back to the time frame, Darius or Darius, you know, most people pronounce it Darius. I, I can't help it. I'm from the south. It's going to be Darius. Uh, he, Darius came to the throne of Persia after overthrowing Cambyses, which was the son of Cyrus the Great. And Cyrus was the guy who let them go, who God used to release the people from uh, their bondage, their 70-year bondage. He was the Persian leader that came and, and told them they could go back and, and, uh, and uh, you know, allowed them to return and rebuild the city. Uh, so at this time, while Zechariah is prophesying, the, the construction of the cities is un, it's underway, it's going on. And um, it was probably a relatively short time, uh, just a few months after uh, Haggai had called the people to actually start renewing their focus on God's temple. The time that Zechariah prophesied this vision, this one we're going to read from 7 through 17, was was right after Haggai told them, you know, uh, if you go and read Haggai, his his prophecies are about, you know, they specifically begin about uh, uh, the people's need to build the temple and not focus upon their own houses, their own, you know, their own lives. But uh, they've turned away from God. And so um, this is this is Zechariah coming after that specifically. Um, and uh, I imagine there was, you know, when Cyrus, the the grandfather of not the grandfather but uh two generations hence from Darius Darius actually took the throne from Cambyses Cyrus's son uh Cyrus Cyrus's son let me get my my lips to working right here uh it, it may be confusing because I'm kind of rambling uh, this is what happened Cyrus the great released the people his son Cambyses took the throne of Persia and now Darius has overthrown Cambyses and taken the throne. And so this is during the time of Darius. And uh, <clears throat> I can imagine that in the years after Cyrus first let them go, uh, there was rejoicing. They were expecting the kingdom of God to come in power. And we're going back to our city. We're going back to the rebuild the temple. And God's going to dwell with us. This is the fulfillment of the promises. And, you know, God is uh, coming back to renew his people. And there's probably rejoicing and anticipation and all of this going on. And, uh, you know, the, of course, this return to the land had been pro pro prophesied by Jeremiah and um, the people, they, they were probably clinging to the hope that God was restoring his kingdom on earth. And this was the, you know, finally after 70 years of captivity, the, the Jews would once again attain the former glory that, that characterized uh, the kingdoms of David and Solomon. And, and God would dwell with his people again. And so you can imagine all this excitement going on. But then you go through... Cambyses, the reign of Cambyses, and now the reign of uh, Darius, and uh, uh, you know Cyrus is long dead. Son is now dead. You know this other guy, Darius, has taken over the throne, and the, the people are still working. You know the the city hadn't attained any semblance of glory yet, and in fact, uh, the people had all but stopped worrying about the Lord's house. That's why it's important to know that this is relatively close to the time where Haggai rebuked them and told them to get back to work on the temple. Um, the people were, you know, just kind of worried about their own lives. And uh, 
they were worried about, you know, I can imagine the excitement kind of waning. You know, this is all going on in my mind. I'm just thinking uh, what I would be like if I had come back to the land and here I am, you know, uh, two generations later and we're still working and we haven't attained anything. Uh, in fact, we've got prophets, prophets telling us how bad we're doing and we need to repent and do these things. And, um, you know, I'm sure people wondered, would they ever see the glory of God's city the way it used to be? And uh, I can imagine that many people were losing heart and losing hope. And, and so Zechariah's prophecy here from verse 7 to 17, um, it's a message of hope. Uh, Persia was just as strong now as it had ever been. Uh, you know, Darius had taken over and uh, it, there didn't seem to be much hope that they would ever throw off the yoke of this empire that kept them under the boot heel. Every now and again, they would have, you know, Cyrus was uh, uh, good to them and, and they would have good rulers and all these things. But they were still under the authority, under the oppression, under the under the rule of a Gentile nation, so to speak. So they this was not the kingdom that they had expected. Um, but in the midst of all this, when things, you know, didn't seem like they were getting better or like they were going good at all, God speaks through Zechariah to give them hope and to, you know, to let them know that, that God is still in control. And that's going to be the message of, uh, these, uh, the horses among the, the myrtle trees. It, it's going to be real apocalyptic and we're going to have to dig into it to, to understand it but the vision is recorded it starts in verse 8 it says i saw in the night and behold a man riding on a red horse he was standing among the myrtle trees in the glen and behind him were red sorrel and white horses different colored horses now if you're if you're an astute student of scripture you uh will recognize these colored horses uh um are referred to, you know, in a typological, symbolic sort of way in Revelation. And so understanding these, understanding these writers, both here and they're going to appear again in the, in the book of Zechariah, uh, understanding these rider, riders, horse riders, uh, it's going to go a long way to show us the correct interpretation of the writers in Revelation. So much of the Old Testament is like that. You have to understand these Old Testament symbols, these Old Testament references that are in the book of Revelation. But we'll get to that another time. The vision of Zechariah here, it sees a picture. It's a picture of a heavenly cavalry. It's it's these guys standing at the ready. And uh, he sees these horses, these riders standing among the myrtle trees. A lot of commentators talk about the myrtle tree symbolizing Israel and those kind of things. Um, but But even Zechariah doesn't understand what he's looking at. And so he has to ask an, an angel that's standing nearby to uh, to interpret the vision for him. All he sees is these horses, these riders, uh, standing off by myrtle trees. And so verse 9 and 10 says, Then I said, this is Zechariah, he says, What are these, my Lord? Uh, the angel who talked with me said to me, I will show you what they are. So the man who was standing among the myrtle trees answered, These are they whom the Lord has sent to patrol the earth. Now the word patrol there is uh, an interpretive uh, translation. What it's what it actually says is 
uh, to walk to and fro among the earth, to walk back and forth among the earth. Uh, Zechariah is told that the horsemen that he sees are the servants of the Lord who go back and forth among the earth. Verse 11 um, we're going to learn that these are angelic beings, so we're not there yet, but we're going to see that. Um, but they're angelic beings that patrol the earth. These riders, um, over and over in Scripture, the, when they talk about going to and fro in the earth, the, they show God's dominion over the whole earth as well as his omniscience. He knows all things. And so he knows what's happening in, happening in Jerusalem, and he knows what's happening in Persia. And, and it may seem like nothing is going right to the people who are working in Jerusalem. It may seem like the Persian Empire just keeps getting stronger and stronger and we're having to labor among the, the brick and mortar and building these things but uh god is still on the throne god is still in control and he uh he uh he knows he knows what's going on uh i don't want to get too technical uh with these lessons but here's why i say that the form of the hebrew word which is translated patrol here uh, you know, I said it's already, it's literally to walk back and forth. Uh, and Hebrew often uses this phrase uh, in a certain stem, you know, uh, uh, and to talk about the dominion and readiness of God. And that's why many translations choose to translate the term uh, patrol rather than just to, to walk back and forth because you get the idea. When you say patrol, you, you understand that there's an authority and there's a reason uh, there's a um, a watching over, so to speak, uh, and that's what the Hebrew idiom is is speaking about. Uh, when you say just walk back and forth, it sounds in English. It sounds like we're talking about just wandering, you know, like we're just we're just walking around, you know, doing doing what we do. But uh, patrol there is a good is a good translation that captures the 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 essential meaning of what the the Hebrew phrase is trying to communicate. Um, what we, that's why I said at the beginning, what we see here, it's a, it's a military cavalry, uh, and it's uh, it's readying itself to uh, it's readying itself to uh, to do the to do the the works of God, to do the will uh, of God. He's never out of control. His heavenly host, you know, walk back and forth or patrol among the earth. You know, doing his will and uh, assessing the nations—it's a—it's a great picture of the sovereignty of God. And at at the time Zechariah prophesied, Darius was had taken power. You know, and there was there was turmoil among the Persian Empire, uh, which probably led the Jews to believe that you know they would soon get their independence. Um, but with you know, with uh, with uh, the the capture of the throne so to speak uh by Darius the you know the all those hopes would be let down and and so Zechariah's vision is going to show the people that that uh he's going to assure them that that God is still in control and that he knows what's going on his dominion over the earth uh you know not Darius or any other king could claim authority that the Jews could trust in their God. Israel could trust in their God because he works all things for their good, even in the midst of the most uncertain times. And, of course, you know from the New Testament, we have the same promise. Those who, who are in Christ today, it, you know, it, it, it may very well seem, and it is, that unjust rulers and governments are in control and the godly are the, being more and more maligned, persecuted, marginalized. 
But uh, even in these desperate times, which just seem to be getting worse and worse, we can have an unshakable trust that our God is in control and the, the geopolitical events that take place, uh, you know, they're part of his eternal decree and they're happening for, for um, a purpose. And so, um, verse 11, uh, I'm getting an email. Verse 11 says, So they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees and said, these are the, the, the cavalry, the, the horsemen, the angels of God. Uh, they answered the angel of the Lord who was standing among the myrtle trees. He says, We have patrolled the earth, and behold, all the earth is peaceful and, and quiet. Now, wait just a minute. Jerusalem is in shambles, and the people are building, rebuilding the, symbol, uh, the city. Uh, they're just now coming back to to faith in God. Zechariah has prophesied for them to return to God, and I'll return to you. The, this empire is ruling over the region, uh, and, and it's doing fine. Uh, they're the empire that the Persian Empire is resting peacefully now and at ease, while the Lord's city is in ruin, and the people are are you know uh, disappointed with how things are going. Seems like the wicked are enjoying the fruits of of their labor, while God's people are just laboring with the hope that. You know of God's promise for the future. How can how can the earth be at rest when God's people are longing for restoration and their enemies are doing just fine? Is you know is this what God promised? Is this is this the hope that we uh, that we've been been waiting for? Um, the writers are reporting that all all the peace and ease among the nations of the earth. Uh, so that you know. It, He's wanting, he's wanting to make sure we understand that God's not ignorant about all these things that are going on. He hasn't forgotten his people, and he knows all the things that, that have happened there. You know, it's times in our lives when it seems like God's taking a siesta, you know, and, and things are just spiraling out of control. Bad things happen or suffering enters our lives. We, we might wonder where God is and why he's not acting. Didn't you make a promise to me? Didn't you make a promise to us through Christ? Uh, didn't you say we could overcome any obstacle and no weapon formed could come against us and prosper? Well, to be honest, it sure looks like weapons are coming against me and prospering. Uh, how long are you going to wait before your promise is fulfilled? This is something that the people of God often ask in Scripture. Uh, this is exactly what the angel asked God after they reported, you know, after they reported that the world was at, at ease. When he said, you know, the world's at ease, everything's at rest, everything's fine. Verse 12, the angel of the Lord asked, O Lord of hosts, how long will you have no compassion for Jerusalem and the cities of Judah? with which you have been indignant these 70 years. Zechariah hears the angel ask the very question that God's people were probably asking at this time. Uh, the people were back from captivity, but for all intents and purposes, it still felt like they were under the boot heel, the oppression of the Persian Empire. They still felt like God was withholding his mercy and blessing from them. Um, you know, the, the, the city had not reached in, in all this time, from the time of Cyrus's release to the time of Darius taking over the throne and ruling. 
the city had not reached its former glory. There was no sign that God had returned uh, to uh, to be with them. Uh, the prophets that had come to them were rebuking them, saying, you know, uh, Zechariah came initially saying, look, you, you guys are back in the city. Yay, that's wonderful. God now says, if you'll return to him, then he'll return to you. You may have returned to this land, but you haven't returned to God. You need to return to him. And then Haggai comes prophesying, you know, God is telling you, you know, you've you've uh, forsaken my house so you could go build your house. He says, turn back and and go to building my temple and of course the people obeyed and so this angel this angel of the lord here um he's he's speaking the same frustrations that uh the people are probably feeling now when it says the angel of the lord i, I don't want to take too much time on this but throughout the old testament we run into this this being called the angel of the Lord. We have angels of the Lord and all these, but uh, most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, when we see the definite article, the angel of the Lord, not a angel of the Lord, but the angel of the Lord, we're catching a glimpse of the pre-incarnate Lord Jesus Christ. The Son, the second person of the Trinity, um, appeared to appeared throughout the Old Testament as the angel of the Lord. Um, the and I, it, he existed before he became flesh in Bethlehem. Uh, for example, when Moses came across the burning bush in Exodus chapter three, it was it said that it was the angel of the Lord that spoke to him out of the bush. But it was this angel of the Lord who told Moses, I am that I am. You know, it was it was this angel of the Lord, the angel of the Lord who who spoke as if he was the Lord and he was the Lord. Joshua also saw the angel of the Lord. Uh, when he appeared as the captain of the Lord's army, uh, the angel of the Lord told Joshua the same thing that he told Moses when Moses approached the burning bush. He told Joshua, he said, you need to take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. And uh, the over and over again in scripture, we see angels uh, not allowing people to worship them. But this angel of the Lord um, spoke as if he is God and he is God. Uh, and so what we see here is that this messenger of the Lord, this angel of the Lord, uh, is, is the pre-incarnate Christ. We see him, uh, clearly revealed in, in the old Testament. And in the same way, you know, the apostle Paul says that, that Christ was the spiritual rock from which the people in the wilderness drank. Uh, and it was he that was the cloud which followed them. And then, uh, first Corinthians 10, um, and there are many other examples of the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament being the second person of the Trinity. But what we see here is the angel of the Lord, he's interceding for the people of God. This is the angel of the Lord said, God, how long are you going to, how long are you going to, you know, withhold your mercy and your blessing? Um, you know, how long are you going to be angry with them? How long are you going to let them be oppressed and suffer? Uh, and, and we see Jesus still does this today. He still does the same for us today. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us with the blood of his sacrifice. Um, and there's one thing of which you can be certainly sure, is that when when Jesus prays to the Father, uh, the Father will the Father will always, always answer 
answer his prayer. Um, verse 13 says, The Lord answered the, answered the angel who was speaking with me with gracious words, comforting words. Uh, the Lord answered the angel, uh, and it doesn't tell us what he says, but he says that they're gracious words and they're comforting words. The, the grace of God has come for his people. Uh, you can be sure that if God's wrath is poured out, his mercy, uh, his mercy will follow. Um, all the Father's wrath has been poured out on Jesus at the cross, and, and now there's nothing left for those who trust in him but mercy. Uh, he took the place of those who he took the place of those who deserved wrath, uh, but have been drawn by the Spirit and called by the Father and given to Christ. Those who've trusted in Him, uh, there is no more wrath. Um, and so here are the comforting words. Verse fourteen says, "So the angel who was speaking with me said to me, proclaim, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts." I am exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion, but I'm very angry with the nations who are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, they furthered the disaster. Now, listen to what the Lord says. Even in the midst of trial and oppression, even when the enemies of God, uh, God's people, look like they're at ease and enjoying their wickedness, uh, God hears the cries of his children. God hears the the intercession of his son. And uh, one thing you can be certain, he's going to hear that. And all those who come to the Father through Christ are loved by him with a, a jealous and perfect love. Uh, he says that he is exceedingly jealous for Jerusalem and Zion. Now, I'm going to introduce you into a concept here that we're going to see over and over again in the Old Testament prophets. Uh, not a very popular one among dispensationalists. And so um, the Old Testament prophets often prophesied the glory of a perfected Jerusalem. And they saw the fulfillment of that far off. You know, they saw that and they prophesied, you know, this is coming, this is coming. But the New Testament writers, the apostles of Jesus Christ, interpret those Old Testament prophecies about a perfect Jerusalem in righteousness as being fulfilled in the church. Um, now, a lot of people are, would malign that and say that it's replacement theology. The church has replaced Israel as the people of God. Uh, I don't believe that adequately um, describes the view of the New Testament writers. Uh, they were themselves Jews, and they did not believe that uh, the church replaced the Israel as God's people, but they did believe that the church in Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of what Israel was always supposed to be. It was the fulfillment of of the perfect identity of uh, of uh, the people of God. You know, Jesus is uh, the perfect Israel. He is the temple. He is the sacrifices. He is the the perfect altar. You know, in, in Hebrews chapter thirteen. The writer of Hebrews, who himself was a Hebrew, uh, based on what he said throughout the book, uh, and also writing to Hebrews um, that were Christians, uh, he says that in verse in chapter thirteen he says we don't have a continuing city here, and he was talking about the Jerusalem that stood in that day. He said even as a Hebrew, uh, 
we don't have a city here. We're looking forward to the heavenly city, the perfected city. Um, and so Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of of the perfect Israel, what it's supposed to be. He's, uh, you know, our tabernacle, our priests, our altar, our temple. I said that before. Uh, we, as as believers in Christ, we're looking for a heavenly Jerusalem. Uh, he even says, you know, whoops. Uh, Paul also, that was me. I almost spilled something. That's why I said whoops. Uh, Paul says himself that the true Israel is made up, the true Israel is made up of both Jew and Gentile. And they're made up as the true Israel, the true people of God in Jesus. He says that in Galatians chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, I would encourage you to read the, both of those chapters, Galatians 3 and Ephesians 2, very carefully and follow the pronouns, especially in Ephesians 2. It says that once we were alienated from the commonwealth of Israel but now we have as Gentiles we have been brought into that commonwealth and he has made the two both Israel the commonwealth of Israel and the nations of the Gentiles he has made the two one he says that explicitly in Ephesians 2 I don't know how you can read that any different so when the Old Testament writers speak of the perfected Jerusalem, the absolute perfect righteous Jerusalem, which stands before God in the glory of his perfection, we have to join the writers of the New Testament in their interpretation. And we have to trust that Jesus himself and those who are found in him uh, are part of a new Jerusalem, which they spoke, the heavenly Jerusalem that John saw coming down out of heaven. Uh, God is jealous for his true Jerusalem, his righteous Jerusalem. Now, of course, at the time Zechariah spoke these words, God's people were actually located you know, in the earthly city and received the promise of Zechariah. Uh, so we can't take that away from them and say that this didn't have anything to apply to them. But, and we're going to see that in a second, but we can't relegate the Old Testament promise only for them and say, well, it doesn't have anything to do with us either. And so many people fall in one of two ditches. They'll say, well, the prophecy was just for them, and it's still for them, therefore it doesn't have anything to do with us, be kind of a hyper-dispensational view. Uh, or there are other people that say, you know, the prophecy is just for us, and as Zechariah was speaking, it didn't have nothing to do with the people that he was actually looking at, and we, we can't take that view either. Um, Peter tells us that, that the Old Testament prophets looked forward to Christ. They prophesied of Christ. And Peter also tells us that they didn't always understand. Uh, they looked into mystery and didn't always understand exactly what they were uh, futuristically pointing toward. They looked into things that they didn't understand, but they looked into, uh, they prophesied for for us. For Peter says that, and he says, um, so we can be assured that God is jealous for his people and that he will indeed fight for them. And that is all of us who are in Christ, both Jew and Gentile. Uh, but God also says that in that verse that we read in Zechariah, that he's angry with the wicked. Um, these are the ones who are at ease. We saw that before. They seem like they are enjoying the spoils of God's people's suffering. Uh, um, we often feel like we're beaten down while worldly and ungodly people seem like, you know, they're just enjoying everything life has to offer. 
But make no mistake, God's wrath is real, and it's being poured out even now on all wickedness. And Paul says that in Romans chapter 1. It's right now, it's being poured out. Okay, so if if God is jealous for his people, and he's angry with the wicked, why is, why is all this happening? Why has God allowed us to be persecuted and oppressed? Why is the world the way it is? You know, God's truly in control. Uh, and, and it was God who brought Assyria the, against the northern kingdom to destroy it uh, because they'd sinned against God and God used Assyria as the rod of his discipline uh, but God also himself brought the Babylonians to destroy Jerusalem some 70 years ago uh, and take the people into captivity and Jeremiah told the people that God was going to do exactly that because they had sinned and God always disciplines his children uh, so he, he loves us too much to let us wander off into sin and, and corrupt our way before him but here God says that the people he used as his rod of judgment, the Assyrians, the Babylonians, they went beyond his judgment. Now, that's a strange thing for us to hear. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying, I caused Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians to come and destroy Jerusalem. I caused the Assyrians to come and destroy the northern kingdom of, of uh, Israel. Um, and now I'm going to turn around and I'm going to punish them for what they have done. Uh, it sounds it sounds strange. We see the same thing in Isaiah chapter 10. Uh, there God is bringing Assyria against Israel to punish Israel for their sins. And then he turns around and judges Assyria for committing wickedness upon his people. Uh, and and the, the point is, it's not a contradiction, it's not an inconsistency. Um, it's that Assyria did not consider itself uh, as an instrument of God. It didn't, they didn't consider what they were doing as, as being used by God uh, to, as his judgment. They were just coming to kill and plunder and destroy. They, you know, their hearts were intent on sin and wickedness and you know, same with the Babylonians. He, they were just coming to control, coming to rape and pillage and murder and destroy and do all these things. God brought them to judge his people, but the hearts of the people of the Babylonians, they were intent on sin and wickedness. They were not intent on being instruments of God. And so God judges them for that. Even though he orchestrated the attack to punish his people, and he says as much, that's not something I'm making up. He says, I'm going to, you know, all the prophets were saying, God is going to bring these people against you. Uh, once again, you have to balance. You have to balance God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Both are true and real. He, God, um, God, we can sit this way, ordained that he would use Babylon to come and destroy the city because of his people's sin. Um, but in the same way, uh, he is free and righteous to judge the sinful hearts of the Babylonians who were coming, not because God said so, but they were coming just to sin and just to be wicked. And so he says, I, I, I planned on, let me scroll back up and look at the verse. He says, um, where is it? 16 it says, therefore God said, uh, no, 17. Thus saith the Lord of hosts. No, I'm, man, I am in the wrong place. 14 and 15. It says, there we go. But I am very angry with the nations who are at ease. For while I was only a little angry, 
they furthered the disaster. They went beyond what I called them to do. Their sin and wicked hearts uh, went far beyond the judgment that I had prescribed for my people. And so verse 16, now we get to verse 16. It says, Therefore, thus, thus says the Lord, I will return to Jerusalem with compassion. My house will be built in it, declares the Lord of hosts, and a measuring line will be stretched over Jerusalem. Verse 17 says, again, proclaim, saying, thus saith the Lord of hosts, my cities will again overflow with prosperity, and the Lord will again comfort Zion, and again choose Jerusalem. God, God promises the people who are laboring under oppression that he will return to them. He, you know, he, uh, um, he, he, he will have his house rebuilt in the cities. what he says. He, he won't leave them because, because he loves them. He, here we can see that the same word used, which was used earlier, when God told the people that if you would return to me, I will return to you. And here, it's almost as if God is uh, reiterating that word, saying, you know what? Uh, I, I am going to return to you. I'm going to return to Jerusalem with compassion. Uh, he says, I'll mark off Jerusalem as my city. I'll, I'll come and measure the city, uh, meaning that it will again be marked off as the place where God dwells. Uh, he'll come to the city and dwell with his people. Uh, the people did indeed build the temple again. We see that in, in Haggai and in Zechariah. But Jerusalem as a city never never regained the glory and blessedness it enjoyed before the presence of the Lord uh, departed. Um, that is, you know, until the Lord himself, Jesus Christ, came to Jerusalem uh, in, in the body of the Lord. You know, he came, he, God himself came to Jerusalem. And so he did, he did return to Jerusalem with compassion. He did you know, uh, bring his temple, so to speak, to Jerusalem. He has fulfilled his promise. Uh, he says that his cities will again be prosperous and comforted, and he will again choose Jerusalem. And indeed, he did choose Jerusalem. He chose the earthly Jerusalem to come and die for the sins of the world, and he still holds the perfected Jerusalem, heavenly Jerusalem, at his heart. Because of, of the blood of his son. Now, we do know that through the work of Ezra, Nehemiah, all this is going on right now, the city did flourish again. Uh, but the fulfillment of these prophecies, it, it, can't be, it can't be found in the history of Jerusalem. It's fulfilled. It, the fulfillment culminates in the Lord Jesus returning to Jerusalem. Um, the Lord Jesus coming and making a true Jerusalem of which all God's people share. It's the heavenly Jerusalem which John saw coming down out of heaven in the book of Revelation. The true city uh, in, in uh, Hebrews 13.10, it, it, the writer says that Abraham didn't look for this earthly Jerusalem. I mean, this is Abraham we're talking about. The one that God promised the land, he promised that I'll give your seed this land and all that. In Hebrews 13, it says that Abraham did not look forward to an earthly land. He looked forward to a heavenly Jerusalem. Hebrews 13.10, go look it up. Uh, he, was, he was looking forward to the city that has firm foundations whose architect and builder is God. That's what it says. 
Uh, it's the city which all believers, both Jew and Gentile, have, Gentile have their citizenship. Uh, you can read that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2. That's, that's our citizenship. That's the true Israel's citizenship. So, all that aside, whether you agree with me or whether you don't agree with me as far as uh, the uh, New Jerusalem and the uh, fulfillment of these things, a lot of people today will see that you know, sometime in the future... Uh, God is going to perfect the earthly city. You know, that's not my view. I don't think it's the New Testament writer's view either. Um, it, it came came about in the 1830s with John Nelson Darby, but that, that's another point. The, the point of this prophecy, whatever side you take on that issue, is that God is with his people, even in the midst of their trial, even in the midst of their struggle, even in the midst of the things that we have to go through in this earth as we work uh, to build God's kingdom by going and baptizing in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit and teaching them all the things I've command, the great commission that Jesus gave us to do as we go forth uh, building God's kingdom, as we go forth and he uses us by the power of the Spirit to to uh, be fruitful and multiply, I guess, you know, you could say, uh, as he uses us to grow his people, to grow his kingdom, uh, there will be times, more often than not, that we'll be persecuted, that we'll suffer, that we'll uh, feel like we're left out, that it looks like the people that are uh, that are of the world are enjoying the things of the world while we're not able to enjoy those things of the world. Um, there are, there are going to be times... Um, a multitude of times like that, but in this prophecy, as the people were were going through these things, looking around, saying, "Wow, the nations are at ease, and here we are struggling and working." As we look at these things, we understand that Zechariah was telling them, "Look, God understands all this that's going on. He 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 hasn't turned a blind eye to what you're going through. He hasn't turned a blind eye to all these things. He knows, and he will bring judgment. He will bring justice. He will bring his wrath upon." upon the earth and he will come in compassion he still is jealous for you he still is uh has mercy for you he still you know is uh, in control of all things and working all things for your good and so Zechariah brings this message to the people to let them know that uh though the though the clouds may be dark and it looks like everything is everything is hopeless and and fruitless uh, God is still working in the midst to prosper his people, to grow his people, and to to burst forth in mercy and compassion upon them. And he, he gives us the same promise through Jesus in the New Testament.